0: Anybody? I'm not I'm not watching. So, here's a hand here. Anybody else? They're getting them. Here we go. Who else? Miss Olga needs one. All right. Open your Bible to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 and we're still talking about uh, the Passover plot, and we're looking at the Passover in the book of Exodus, not just, you you know, this is a historical account. This This is history, but the point of God writing this is not just for history. The point of God writing it is because it's His story, His story of redemption, His story of His people. And so when we read this, we need to read it, in the way that God intended it to be read, that God is showing us something. He's pointing us to something, and that something is really not a something, it's a someone. It's pointing us to Christ. And so we talked about the purpose. What was the purpose of of this that God was doing through what we call the Passover story, the Exodus? And the purpose is, in His grace to redeem a people for His very own, in His Son to fill all things. And we looked at that scripture in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.23 and also, I believe, Ephesians 4.10 uh, speaks of this. Then we looked last week at the people involved in this. We looked at two groups of people primarily. You have Egyptians and you have Israelites. Two very different groups of people that, that, that had a very different purpose and a very different destiny. And so we see that the people in His grace, to have a new identity as a new creation in one new man, that man is Jesus Christ. We, we saw this in Ephesians 2, 14 through 19, where it says God created in Himself one new man. And so our identity no longer is Egyptian or, or Israeli or... Irish or American or Mexican, or that might be your ethnicity, but your identity in Christ is Christ. He is the one head. Remember, it's like your driver's license. Your driver's license, you present that as your valid ID, and it's got a picture of your head, and you're identified by your head. As the church, it's the same principle. We are identified by our head. Christ is our head. How does the Father know us? He knows us through the head, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the people, in His grace, to have a new identity. Jesus said, you must be born again. Why? Because there's only one kind acceptable to the Father, that is Christ. That kind, not Adam, but Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in verse 16, Paul says this, he says, We no longer know any man according to the flesh, even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him no longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new kind. You're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Where have all things become new? In Christ. Where are you, a new creation, a new kind? In Christ. Where are you acceptable to the Father? In Christ. Now, I want you to understand, as we look at the story of of the Exodus and the Passover, I want you to see beyond historical events, and I want you to see what God is communicating to His people. Remember, He didn't write this to us, but He wrote it for us. And and if you are born again today, you are His people. And this story speaks of a truth that is your truth today. Where? In Christ. So today we're going to talk about the promise. The promise in His grace. You see, it's all by His grace. In His grace, His purpose is achieved. In His grace, a people are brought forth. In His grace, a promise is fulfilled. The promise in His grace to do what? To deliver His people to a good land. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 6. Let's begin in verse 6. Now this is Moses at the burning bush. God calls Moses over. He says, hey, take your shoes off. The place where you stand is holy ground. Verse 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is the promise God is making. This isn't a new promise. We see this promise first communicated to Abraham specifically when it says that he says to Abraham, he actually said to Abraham's father, Abraham's father left their land, but he parked in, in a different land and stayed there. And then when his dad died, God says to Abraham, get up from this country, from your family, and go to a land that I will show you. And, 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 and it says in Genesis twelve seven, he talks about, Uh, this promise that he's going to give to his seed, a land. Well, God is reaffirming the promise never stopped, never changed, and God says, I've heard the cry of my people. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians, to take them out of this land and to take them into a land, a good land, a land that flows with milk and honey. So in this story we see that Egypt is not the land for the people of promise. The Israelites are living in Egypt, but Egypt is not their land. God didn't give Egypt to the Israelites. God says, I've got another land for you. So Egypt is not the land for the children of Israel. And guess what? The land of promise is not for the Egyptians. When the Egyptians tried to cross the Red Sea, what happened? Well, we'll talk about that later. But you know what happened, right? And so the land of promise is not for the Egyptians, and Egypt is not for the children of promise. In John 14, 30, just moments before the arrest of Jesus, in John 12, 31, Jesus says, the judgment of this world has come. The ruler of this world is cast out. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And in John fourteen thirty. Jesus says this, he makes this statement. He says, The ruler, he says, I'm not going to talk to you much anymore. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world, Satan, had nothing in Jesus. And Jesus had nothing in him. But he makes this interesting statement The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Egypt is a picture of the world. The children of God were in the world, but they weren't of the world. That world, that land that they were in did not define them. We're in the world, but the world must not define us. Christ defines us. The land of promise is a picture of Christ. We need to see more than just a geographical area that God was promising His people. And we'll look at this in Scripture. There's a real land. There was a real land of promise, but I'm telling you what, it was not just a land that God was trying to get them to see. And so the land of promise is a picture of Christ, just as Egypt is a picture of the world. As the Egyptians have nothing in the land of promise, the world has nothing in Christ. Jesus said, The ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. As God's children of promise, just as those children of promise had nothing in Egypt. It wasn't their land. It wasn't where they were destined to live. That's not where they found life. So as God's children, our promise is where? Our promise is in Christ. It's in Christ. The Scripture relates God's promise of the land to the children of Israel. He relates that to Christ. I want us to get a bigger picture here, not just look at history, not just look at geography. What was God trying to show His children? What is God trying to get us to see today, though we are in the world and the Scripture says we're not of the world? What does God want us to see beyond this world, beyond the condition of this world? He wants us to see something. He he doesn't want us to ignore the world. He doesn't want us to pretend like we're not here. He doesn't want us to live lives that are not relevant. We we need to understand. We need to keep things in their proper place. But, But we also need to be able to see something beyond this world. When I say beyond this world, I'm not saying one day I'm going to die and go to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about when I say beyond. I'm talking about right here and right now. Can I see something that transcends the world around me? Can I see something that transcends my sickness or transcends my economic reality? Can I see something that transcends the condition of this world right now? Can I see something that transcends a tsunami or a nuclear meltdown or a war in the Middle East or wherever else we have a war? Can we see something that transcends those things? If anyone should be able to see something that transcends those things, it should be the church. If anyone was to see beyond Egypt to the promise of God, you know who it should have been? It should have been the children of promise. But they didn't see it. So the promise of God is fulfilled in the one promised seed who is Christ. All the promise is fulfilled where? In Christ. So let's look at Galatians 3.16 for instance. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. Christ is the promised seed. So we talk about this in Not I but Christ. Uh, When you read In Genesis, the account of Abraham and the promises made to Abraham, your modern translation may translate the Hebrew word for seed as descendants. And it can mean descendants. But it's much more effective if we leave that word for what it literally says, seed, because we begin to see that all the promises made to what? It's made to the seed. So then when we come over here to Galatians 3.16, we understand what Paul is referring to, and we understand why Paul makes this statement. Because the promise is made to the seed. Whose seed is? Christ. All right? So God spoke of the promised seed in Genesis 3.15. Who was that promised seed? It is Christ. The seed of the woman would do what to the head of the serpent? Crush it. You might bruise his head, his heel, but he will crush your head. That's the promised seed. That's the first time the seed is spoken of. It's a prophecy of the coming Messiah of Jesus Christ who would bring deliverance to the children of God out of their bondage of sin and death by crushing the head of Satan. Where did Jesus do that? Where did he crush the head of Satan? He did it at the cross. He did it in his death. He did it in his resurrection. He crushed the head of of Satan. The promised seed, who is Christ, would possess the land. Genesis 12, 7 and Genesis 13, 15. This is the seed Paul's talking about in Galatians 3, 16. This is the seed that will possess the land. The promised seed, who is Christ, would bless all nations. How would Father Abraham, how would his seed bless all the nations of the earth? Because his seed, the seed spoken of there, is Christ. Through Christ, all the nations of the earth are blessed. Amen? Because God has taken from every nation, from every tongue, from every tribe, He has redeemed a people, and He has brought the blessing of Christ. Hallelujah. Acts 13.32, this is Paul speaking to a group of Jews. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He has raised up Christ. How did God fulfill the promise to the fathers? By raising up Christ. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. All the promises fulfilled in Christ. The promise of the land given to the children of Israel in the Scripture The writer of Hebrews specifically here relates it to Christ. Now, the whole book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, it just declares so clearly this truth of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. And he's helping these Jewish believers understand what God did through Jesus Christ. That the promises to the fathers have been fulfilled. We don't need to go to the temple and sacrifice animals anymore. We don't need to look to that old system that's passing away. Why? Because it is fulfilled in Christ. And this is what he's writing about. So he's now, in in Hebrews chapter 3, He's in 3 and 4 here, he's talking about, the children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt. And he's relating this to us today who trust in Christ. Let's begin in verse 11. Here in verse 11, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from, from the Psalms. It says, So I swore in my wrath, speaking of God, they shall not enter my rest. Who does the they refer to there? It refers to the children of Israel, specifically To the unbelieving children, those unbelieving children who came out of Egypt, they shall not do what enter my rest. They're not going to do it. And how did that come true? Well, we know it did come true because all but two of that generation died in the wilderness. The scripture says only Joshua and Caleb from that generation that came out of Egypt entered in to the promised land, or entered into as the psalmist refers to it here, God's rest. Verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion for who having heard rebelled indeed was it not all who came out of egypt led by moses now with whom was he angry 40 years question was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness You should underline that word sinned there because it's important. Because if you just stop right there, you won't understand what what sin, how the scripture defines sin here. Because it defines it in a very specific way. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? That's related to those who sinned. They sinned, how they did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. What was the sin? What was the disobedience? They did not believe. They did not believe. They didn't believe who? They didn't believe God. They believed a whole lot of things, but they didn't believe God. They trusted in a whole lot of things, but they didn't trust God. They didn't believe. So Christ says, we, look look what it says, verse 11, chapter 3, they, unbelieving, shall not enter my rest. But he says in verse 14, for we, believing, have what? Become partakers of Christ. Christ is God's rest for his children. Christ is the rest that God wanted to bring his children into, from bondage into his rest. That land spoke of something much greater than just real estate. It spoke of a rest, an eternal rest that God had for his people, that God had purposed and planned for his people. When? When he heard the cries of the children of Israel from their hard bondage? God made a plan to get them out of there and get them to a, a good land? No. When did God have his plan and have his purpose in place? What kind of plan is it? Remember, we talked about this week one. It is an eternal plan. It didn't have a beginning when God says, Oh, I think that's my children crying. Oh, I better get a plan to get them out of there. Uh uh. God had an eternal plan. His plan was always to redeem a people, His plan was always to have a people identified by who? By His Son. His plan was always to bring them into an eternal, supernatural rest that can't be defined by geography or real estate. Though we live on a real earth and there are real things that that God blesses us with here, what God is speaking of here is so much greater. That's why we can't put our hope in material things, because material things come and material things go. The rain falls on the unjust and the just, but it also evaporates from the Just and the unjust, right? So our hope is not just in whether the rain falls or not. Our hope is in the God who created the rain. The God who is in control of everything. That's who our hope is in. Amen, church? So the children of Israel did not enter that rest because of unbelief. In unbelief, they could not see what Father Abraham saw by faith. So you can go to Hebrews 11 and you read the account of all of these people what was it that Abraham saw that the children of Israel did not see? Abraham. Well, Jesus tells us, John 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad to see it. Wow, you're not even 50 years old. Jesus, how could Abraham see your day? See, they made the same mistake. They were the children of the fathers who dropped dead in the wilderness there. They're making the same mistake their fathers who died in the wilderness made. They're looking for something That's not defined by this earth. Abraham saw something. He saw Christ in his day. He saw Christ in the day of his resurrection. He said, no city here on this earth is going to suffice for me. I'll wait for the city that I saw by faith. The children of Israel were not able to see what Abraham saw. The same promise God made to Abraham is the same promise God is making to the children of Israel here communicated through Moses. Hey, remember what I told Abraham, your father? I'm going to do that. I'm going to to bring you into the land. The problem was they could not see by faith because they were bound in unbelief. Their unbelief kept them from seeing what Abraham saw by faith. So Joshua led the children of Israel into the land, but not into God's rest. There remains a rest for God's people. Hebrews 4, 8 and 9. If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his slash your works. If you have entered His rest, you, child of God, have ceased from your works. There is no work for you to do. Christ did the work on the cross for you. The children of Israel, he says, if we have entered into his rest, if we've entered into Christ, then we've ceased from those works. He who has entered his rest, who is Christ, has ceased from his works. And Then he says in verse 11 of Hebrews 4, Let us be diligent. To enter that rest. So Christ is God's promise we are to enter into. This is the rest. This is the promise of of rest that God made a way for us to enter into. It's Christ. Amen? So all the promise is fulfilled in Christ. All the promise is fulfilled by grace. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, having predestined us to adoption, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. How did God make us accepted in the Beloved? Who is the Beloved? Do you know who the Beloved is? Christ is the Beloved. He is the Beloved Son. And God has made us accepted in the Beloved. Remember, we are accepted where? In Christ. How did God make us accepted in the Beloved? Paul says right here, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. Neither did I. God in His grace has made us accepted in the Beloved Son. So we are made accepted in the Beloved by grace. How is the promise fulfilled? It's fulfilled by grace. The children of Israel tried to work for it. They couldn't fulfill it. This is why they died in the wilderness. They tried to do what they couldn't do and to magnify the futility of trying to do something they were never meant to do. God gave them a law called the Law of Moses. And that law magnified their sinfulness, and it magnified their inability to fulfill the promise through their works. And it does the same for us today. Remember, the law was never given as a system for us to become righteous. The law was given to magnify our sinfulness, and to condemn us to death so that we would cry out to the only Savior who can save us, the only way by which we can enter into that promise of rest, Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.9, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us, when we earn it, after we worked really hard to show that we were worthy to receive it. See, that's the way a lot of us live our lives. That's the message of the gospel that's preached, and it's not really gospel. That's not good news, is it? That's not good news, because that's what the children of Israel tried to do for 40 years. And you, did you, do you see what the result that they got? They died. This is why the Scripture says the wages of sin is death. What was the wages of their working in the wilderness? It was was death. They did not enter the promise. So Paul, Paul is writing here to his son in the faith, Timothy, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Do I have anything to brag about? I don't. I don't have anything to brag about. The promise is fulfilled by grace. We are all desperately in need of His grace. Paul begs the Lord to take this thorn from His flesh. And what does God say? Paul, my grace, my grace is sufficient. Because in your weakness, Paul, my strength is made perfect. Oh, we don't like weakness. There's nothing about our human condition that revels in weakness. But yet God says in our weakness, his, his, his strength is made perfect. And I submit to you that God allows us sometimes to come into weakness. And for that weakness to be magnified so that we never forget that it's His strength in us that must be perfected, that must be relied upon. It's not our human strength. Because as strong as we might be as human beings, it's not strong enough. As strong as our will might be as human beings, that strong will will oftentimes get us into trouble. Hence, God says, you stiff necked people. You brood of vipers. What was their problem? They were strong-willed. They were strong-willed to do their own will, to believe their own thing, to believe the lie that they had magnified in their own minds. But God says, I want to break that. I want to break the lie. I want to break the power of the lie because I want you to see me for who I am, I want you to allow me to redeem you, for me to deliver you, to bring you into the land, the rest, the life that I have prepared for you in my Son. Grace is nothing of me but everything of God. Grace is nothing of me but everything of God. If it's of me, and Paul writes this, then it's not grace. If works are grace, then they're not works anymore. If grace is works, then it's not grace anymore. Grace is nothing of me but everything of God. The promise is only possible by His grace. Those children were not able to deliver themselves out of Egypt except by the grace of God. God had to come down. God had to send a deliverer. God had to initiate something and get them out of there. They were not able to do it themselves you cannot deliver yourself from sin and death. You can't do it. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care how much money you give to the church or to anybody else. There's no way possible for you to be able to work your way out of, buy your way out of sin and death. The only way out of sin and death is by the grace of God. God made a way through Jesus Christ. It wasn't my work on the cross. It was the work of Christ on the cross. It wasn't my resurrection It was His resurrection. Hallelujah. Only by grace is the promise possible. All the promise is fulfilled, how? Through faith. So all the promise is fulfilled in Christ. All the promise is fulfilled by grace. All the promise is fulfilled through faith. Romans 4.16. I have part of the scripture there, let me go to my Bible and read the entire Scripture in context. Romans four sixteen. Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all according to the faith of Abraham, not the faith of the children of Israel in Egypt, because they didn't have any faith. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, void of faith, and in their unbelief, they died there. So Paul says, hey, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise, what promise? The promise God made, going all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis 3.15, the promise he made and." In Genesis 12, 7, in Genesis three thirteen fifteen, 15, the promise he made so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to the Jews, but also to all those who are of the faith of Abraham. Are you today, church, are you of the faith of Abraham? Yeah. Then that promise was made sure. It is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be made sure. To those who are of the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. The father of who? The father of all who believe. The father of all who are in faith in Christ. uh, Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is the gift? Salvation is the gift. How do I enter into that salvation? By grace, through faith. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is Substance. It makes me, it takes me right to Colossians where Paul is writing to the Colossians and he says, Don't let anyone judge you according to food or drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, for those are but shadows, but Christ is the substance. Now faith is the substance. Verse 6, without faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because the promise is fulfilled through faith. We can say all day long, the promise is fulfilled in Christ, the promise is fulfilled by grace, but I'm telling you what, until we have faith, the promise is not fulfilled any other way except through faith. The grace of God was shed upon the children of Israel, but because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter the land through faith. They weren't able to do it. Let's fast forward to uh, Hebrews 11. Let's go to verses 39 and 40. Paul, or uh, whoever you think wrote Hebrews. Paul, Barnabas, Luke, some unnamed person. The writer of Hebrews, it doesn't tell us. We can all have our opinions right, but no one really knows for sure. The writer of Hebrews in verses 39 and 40, after he goes through and he lists all of these people, and what's he talking He's talking about their faith. Not their human willpower that enabled them to endure martyrdom or hardship. He's talking about their faith. What? They saw Christ. They had faith in the promise of God, who ultimately is what? Is Christ. How do we know Abraham? What Abraham saw? Because Jesus tells us what he saw. And I believe that all these others saw the same thing. They saw the promise of God that was made manifest and ultimately fulfilled where? In Christ, by faith, they endured all of these things. And we come to verse 39, Hebrews 11. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Well, shucks. That's kind of a bummer, right? No. It's good news for us. Why? Why? God tells us in the very next verse. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What was the better thing that God provided for us? What do we have? What have we, what do we know? What do we know today? What do we possess today that they did not have that they could only see by faith but we stand on the other side of it knowing that it is a done deal an accomplished work a finished work they looked into the future and saw Christ we stand on the other side of the cross and the resurrection and we say it is finished they stood before the cross looking into the future and said one day it shall be finished the reality was in eternity it was already finished this is what hebrews tells us in hebrews 3 and 4 they say, hey the work was completed it was already done when God sat down on the seventh day and rested, it was done. The work was done. We just didn't see the manifestation of it yet. They looked ahead to the cross and said the manifestation is coming one day. We look back at the cross and say it was manifest. Jesus really was born. Jesus really walked that road. Jesus really was nailed to that cross. He really died. He was really buried, and He really rose from that grave. Hallelujah, church! That ought to make you shout right there. I mean, He is the risen Savior. We're not looking for it to happen one day. It's already happened. This is what God has given to us. This is what He has provided for us that they didn't have. They couldn't say, it's already done. They could say, it's going to be one Abraham didn't say, Well, I passed up a city whose who's builder and maker is God. He says, No, I'm looking for, I saw it by faith and I'm looking ahead to the day when it becomes a reality. We're standing in the day when it is a reality where? In Christ. I mean, Christ has come, He has saved us, He is coming again. How do I know He's coming again? Because the Bible says, Because He's already come, He's already done the work of redemption. Everything else is a done deal. You know, we have a fun time on Sunday morning in the 9 o'clock Bible study trying to figure out how all this is going to work out. What the chronology is and what the symbolism is. But I'm going to tell you what right now. Cut through all of that and know this. Christ has already come. He did His work. He finished it. And He is coming again. That is a certain Reality, that is a certain truth. We stand in history and see something that those before us could not see, could not know, except by faith. This is why I believe Hebrews 1.1 says, now faith is the substance. Christ has come. Go to Galatians chapter four. Galatians four, four through five. Paul says, but when the fullness Of the time had come, Abraham looked at that time, but the time had not come yet. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to achieve his eternal purpose. That was to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Well, let me just finish there because this is is such an encouraging scripture. Catch this by the Spirit, church. Come on. Don't just read words on a page. Hear what the Spirit of God is telling us today through His Word to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. We were illegitimate, but God has adopted us as sons. He has made us legitimate children. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Hallelujah. We're not looking for that to be a reality one day. That is a reality. Why? Because Christ, he died. He really died. And he rose. He really rose again. He really redeemed you in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith apprehends as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. I didn't physically see Jesus die on the cross, and I didn't physically see Jesus raised from the dead. But faith apprehends as real fact what is not revealed to the senses in the face of all that seems to contradict it. When God told Abraham to take his son Isaac up on that mountain and sacrifice him, everything that was speaking to Abraham's physical senses were telling him, this can't be, this can't be, this can't be. How can the promise come to pass if this happens? But Abraham didn't... Operate out of what his physical senses were telling him. Abraham operated out of faith. Why? Because he saw something as fact even though his senses were contradicting it. Now go to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. In spite of all the miracles, in spite of all that they saw, they trusted their senses instead of walking by faith. They let everything around them and according to their senses define. What is God and what is not God? What is good and what is not good? And they, instead of operating out of faith, in spite of their senses, gave place to their senses. That's not faith. Faith is, it's our ability to apprehend as real fact what is not revealed to the senses in the face of all that seems to contradict it. Faith is real seeing. Seeing is not believing unless it's real seeing by faith. I might see an Egyptian army coming at me, but can I see beyond that Egyptian army and can I see the God of creation who made a promise to me? I might see the thirst and the hunger in the desert, but can I see beyond my thirst and my hunger and see a God who can make water come out of a rock or quail fall from the sky? Can I see beyond my senses? We are no different today, church, than the children of Israel in that regard. We are called to walk by faith, not according to our senses. So Christ, listen, Christ is our fruitful land flowing with milk and honey that we enter into by grace through faith. We have, as the writer of Hebrews says, we have become partakers of Christ. They died in the wilderness in unbelief, but we have become partakers of Christ. We have come to partake of what they could not Because we are of faith and they were not. Are you walking by faith today? The promise was never just about a land. It was and is about Christ. See, if the promise was just about a land, then the promise doesn't apply to us. I'm not a Jew. I don't live in Israel. Do you see? There is a real land. There's real history. But you need to see the promise supersedes any geography. The promise goes to Christ. He is the land, He is the rest that God has eternally purposed to bring His children into. He is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promise. It was never just about a land, it was always about Christ. Everything pointed us to Christ. Everything did. We see types and shadows all the way through the story pointing us to Christ, our Deliverer, our Redeemer. As seen with the children of Israel, the land or any other earthly blessing means nothing without Christ. God can take a people into the land and God can disperse them out of the land. In or out, the land or any other promise has no significance and no meaning apart from Christ. You can drive the biggest car, live in the biggest house, have the biggest bank account, and call yourself blessed beyond measure. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. You can live in whatever land, whatever country you want to define by, whatever geography you want to define it by. But if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You have nothing. The significance is Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no significance and there is no meaning. 2 Corinthians 6.2, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. How did he help us? Hallelujah. He sent His Son. He hasn't just promised help, He's delivered. He's delivered the help. Behold, now. Why is it now? Because the help has come. The help has done what it was sent to do. The help has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us by His blood. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We read Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Any condition of this world, any condition of this world is temporary. You might be on top of the world today. Now, I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm going to tell you what, just as quick as you got on top, you can find yourself on the bottom. There were a lot of people riding high as the stock market was like a big old bloom, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in one moment, do you know how many people lost all of their wealth? I mean, literally in one moment, they were on top of the world. And for a lot of people, the very next moment, they had lost everything. If we put our trust in earthly things, we're subject to the same things happening. That's why what God has promised us transcends anything of this earth. There is no condition on this earth that is not temporary. Any condition of this world is temporary. Notice I didn't say any condition in this world. Because we're in the world. In our condition, what we are in Christ is not temporary. Though we're in the world, What we are of is eternal. Any condition of the world, I'm I'm not conditioned of the world. My condition is not defined as of the world. It is of Christ if I am redeemed and so is yours. Any condition of this world is temporary. God's promise in Christ is eternal, providing a hope greater and far beyond anything of this world. God is able to order reorder, or completely change our condition. Do you believe that? He he can. You might have a condition, according to the doctor, on one day, but the very next day or the very next moment, God can remove that condition. God is God. He can do anything. Any condition of this world, God is able to order, reorder, completely change. But whatever... Listen, church, whatever our condition in this world, his promise remains our eternal hope. Not whether our condition is good, better, or best. That doesn't define our hope. And your hope's not defined by how bad your condition is either. Your hope is defined by Christ. Our hope is eternal in him. I hope we all live in good conditions. I hope you prosper. I hope you're blessed materially and emotionally in every way. I hope that, I pray that. And you may be, or maybe you're sitting here today and you say, man, there's nothing blessed about my life. I don't have a job. I don't have a family. I don't have a car. I don't have a home. I talk to people like this all the time. I had a couple call me yesterday. Don't have a home, don't have a car, just just walking through life, trying to get to New Mexico. I I can't imagine living like that. Now, they profess to be believers, and maybe they are. I'll just let you know right now that's not the life I want to live, and that's not the life I'm believing God to live. I I don't want to be homeless. I don't think God wants me to be homeless. And I don't think God wants me to be destitute. And I think Paul could have said the same thing, but Paul found himself homeless and Paul found himself destitute. He didn't say, man, God disappointed me. He said, you know what? I learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm destitute today, but you know what? God will raise me back up. I'm homeless today, but but I have a home in Christ. Now that sounds like real pie in the sky, right? I'm, I'm telling you what, God, God will provide. He has promised. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, He says, Hey, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at creation. I know how to take care of those things. Do I not value you more? Do I not also know how to take care of my children? God knows how to take care of us. But if we're putting our hope in all of these things that are of the world that are temporal. We're going to be disappointed. Let's put our hope in Christ. The promise supersedes these things. It transcends it and goes to the very essence and core of who the promise is. It's Christ. So by, Christ, by grace through faith, we become partakers of Christ. Now in this world. Now. Now in this world. Not one day when I get to heaven. By faith. By grace through faith. Right now, I become a partaker of Christ. Now in this world. And in this world right now, we walk by faith. That's how we walk. That's how we live. As some people would say, that's how we roll. Okay, We roll by faith. All right? In fact, the fact is Christ, our rest, has come. He has come. We don't have to wait for his second coming to enter his rest. He has come and provided rest for us. We can enter into it right now. How do I know? Because that's what the Scripture says. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We have become partakers of Christ. We've entered His rest. Why are you guys still working? Why are you wanting to keep sacrificing animals? You've entered His rest in Christ. The fact is, Christ our rest has come in faith. In faith, church, let us rest in that fact. Let us act upon that fact. Let us be upheld by that fact, for he is Lord. He is Lord. That word Lord is the very same word that God told Moses. You tell my children, the Lord God has sent you. That's a name Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know. I am revealing a name to my children in Egypt that... The fathers didn't know this is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. He is curios. The God of Gods, the self-existent, eternal one, this is who our Savior is. This is the promise we have entered into. That is good news, church. That's good news. That's hope. Regardless of your condition, you have hope. Believe God. He is able to change your condition. If you don't like your condition, trust God. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, though. Don't stop trusting God. Trust Him even more. To give you the grace to walk through whatever it is He's allowing you to walk through right now. Good, bad, or ugly, trust Him. He is the God of promise. and He has made a way for us. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you're here and you would like prayer, you might have sickness in your body. You might have a a need in your life. You might know someone that has a need and you want to agree with them or for them. You come and we will pray. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I truly know Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I don't know if I've ever truly been born again. If you have that question, and you want to find out more about being born again, I would encourage you to come and let's talk about what the Scripture declares and let's talk about these things. Because if you call upon the name of the Lord, Scripture says this, if we call from a heart of faith upon His name, He'll not turn us away. We'll not be put to shame. Amen. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise that you have declared to us through your word. But even more than that, Lord, the promise that you have made manifest and made a reality in Christ Jesus. Lord, we have much to look forward to, but Lord, we have much right now to be thankful for because, Lord, the Everything you will do in the future will be done because of what you have already done. Because the work has been finished. Because, Lord, you have already made a way where there seems to be no way. And we are so thankful for that. Father, I pray today that we, who confess to be your children, that we would put our hope and our faith in you. Not in any condition of this world. Not in anything that, Lord, the conditions of this world, the things happening around us would not... Destroy our faith, and Lord, we would not look to those things to build our faith upon. But Lord, our faith would be built only upon Christ Jesus, the solid rock. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that every promise you've given us is sure because of Christ. And Lord, we look for that day, Lord, when you will bring about the consummation of all things, the manifestation of all things that even the creation groans and awaits now to see. Lord, we know that day is sure because what Christ has done is sure. We thank you for that, Father. We praise you for it. And we give you all the glory for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Praise God. Be praying about who you're going to invite to church on Easter. We'll give you some resources next weekend. And I give you a couple of weeks before Easter to get those out and to, to be actively praying for friends and family who